Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. I am very excited today to be joined by Kima Shaw, the head of Digital and Demand Generation at Actian. Uh, welcome to the show, Kima. Well, thank you for having me. I love your intro. Super cool. Oh, yeah. The creative team here is awesome. They're always coming up with fun stuff. I know. I can see a little vibe and ready, like kind of moving the shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks for being here today. I had a question to start us off. Cool. Does writing a book for dummies actually work? Like, I saw you all did that, and I was like, okay, that's kind of dope because, but I was like, okay, their audience isn't dummies. So, like, does the concept when you're serving a technical audience, does writing the book, like a dummies book, work? I'd love to hear your perspective. It does. It does. But it's not just for our technical audience. So it's not just for our architects. It's not just for our DBAs. It's also for people who are entry level, who really just don't have an education about cloud data warehouse, hybrid cloud data warehouse and how it works. And so it's a great gated piece of content because everything we do is for demand gen is about how can I how how can I get your email address so I can talk to you some more about what we really want to talk to you about. So it's a great high level piece of content and everybody knows that the the dummies uh, brand is not necessarily saying that you're a dummy. It's just yeah. saying like how can we simplify this concept that you may not you may have a little bit of familiarity about but you're not an expert. How can we how can we dumb it down to make it palatable? That's all. I love that. And I think it's such a good answer because I think so often as marketers, we think about every piece of content is only valuable if it acquires net new pipeline or revenue. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lie because if you look at the landscape of business today, most organizations, especially successful ones, their greatest problem is not actually revenue, but labor supply. And so I could imagine for you all, that book has maybe a more strategic purpose of also attracting engineers to your organization, other humans and then it also creates more of a long-term vision for where you're trying to go and so i always think it's very wise like a lot of us in content for example we think about you know what how what's the roi of this piece Mm -hmm. but there's i like to think of it in three buckets right acquire sell and then retain Mm -hmm. right that's how if you put content in the lens of business it's to acquire sell or retain so for you how do you think about content marketing maybe and what its role is in retaining customers and even selling customers? Like, how do you think about where your content strategy fits in those two buckets? Well, I, I think it's a, it's, it's like you said, it's a long strategy, right? I'm not expecting somebody to sign up for a blog and read a blog and be like, yeah, I want to buy this. <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't happen. My money. I'm ready for this. I am topic. ready, right? I'm ready to sign SOW today. That's not how it works. I think the content is part of the relationship. It's part of the relationship where you ne- you're not necessarily, well, you kind of want to be the expert, but you're, you want to be a partner on the journey to learning and education with your customers so that when they get to the point that they their customer um or they're ready to purchase they already have a a a relationship with you they understand not necessarily just your position in the market but you've educated them about the market just in general so you have a, a closer touch point with them and then when you actually have your customers they've already become your customers now you're using that those communications and that content to further 
cross sell, upsell, to continue to build relationships and to retain them so that you're not, you know, you have lower attrition. So I see content content as the relationship bridge between the company and the consumer. No, I love that. And when I was going through and prepping for this interview, there was some stuff I found that I thought was really interesting where you make a really cool offer. I'm all about offers. because I think there's like gotta be a hook. And a lot of times in B2B, we don't have that no more. Like, it's just like that hook is gone, like that offer. And so you say, we'll cut your snowflake bill in half. Find out. I think that is so cool. Number one, can you? And number two, how did you come up with that? Or like, what was the, the logic behind that? And like, how's that working for you? Because I think most of our customers need to have a little bit more confidence in how they portray their value. And I thought that was really cool. I mean, well, we're a data-driven company. We have the data to back it up. Like we talk a good game and we back it up. Yeah. That just is what it is. It's, oh yeah. So I won't spend a, a whole bunch of time on talking about our our um, our competitors, but I mean, essentially, we we did the research. It was an independent study, um, and this is the information that we found out that we're able to provide this concurrent users um, volume. Uh, no. Um, uh, there is no, um, uh, the query complexity, you can maintain that. So we can give you everything that you need to be, um, to have real time decision-making without compromising the complexities in your queries, queries, um, the users that you can have doing, uh, running at the same time. And we can do it for less money really. Right. So well, I love that. But let's unpack the playbook of how you got there, because I think the offer and the call to action is so good. I don't know how pe I don't know how many people know how to get from request a demo to we'll cut your bill in half, right? Because like I think most of us are living in this request a demo, really poor click through rate, really poor conversion rate world. Yeah. yeah. And I've I, you know we've pioneered a lot of stuff like demo videos. So we've been like doing demo videos for clients for almost seven years, where you watch a free demo video, and you still like that's an off. It's like it's something you get because what usually what happens in SaaS is there's not an equal transaction of value. In other yeah. words, your prospect gives you all their information. Yeah. And in return, they get a thank you page that says someone will reach out in 24 hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Now you're showing them how they're going to save that value. So how can someone recreate a similar call to action for themselves in the sense of the process you went through in the sense that you had an independent study perform? So like, how did you identify that that was your primary value prop? Like, how did you get the independent study? And how can someone learn from this experience and maybe recreate it for themselves? Well, I think that there's one thing component missing that there's no demo video. It is a actual demo. Like we're giving you the opportunity to go into the platform and to play with the data itself. We're not showing you what we mm. want you to see. We're allowing you to actually see it. That's a different experience than just playing a three minute demo. And these people who are technical and who are dealing with disparate data across multiple systems, warehouses, APIs, marketing automation, Salesforce systems, um, point of sale systems. Like they're not looking for a three minute video to watch on YouTube. They can do that anywhere. What they want is let me see how it works and how it's going to benefit us. So that's, that's the first thing. I think that's the most important thing yeah. is when we say demo, we're like, we want you to eat the dog food, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> We, we want you to, 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 to pick up what we're putting down. So, oh, that's, so that's, that's what it is. So we have the, the demo experience. And then I think it just, honestly, it came out very organically. Um, we're looking at 
what our, our competition is able to deliver for their customer. And then we're looking and our engineers are, are saying like, how, how can we compete, right? Because we have this behemoth uh, competitor in, in, in the market and we're like, well, if we're talking brand to brand, that might be a bit of a challenge. But when we're com comparing under the hood, this is where we get to compete. This is where we yeah. get to say that this is our brand and butter. And so it was really just organic. Like, this is what they do. This is what we do. Let's validate that. Let's not just say it because everybody just says it. Anybody yeah. can say it in marketing. And we do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Our Coke is better than Pepsi. Says who? <laughs> yeah, we're great. It's like, OK. Yeah. But when you can have a, a, a trusted third party organization that's trusted in the, the industry who can run their own tests and say, this is what we found. We're literally just taking the information that's already been presented and, and validated and yep. giving it to the It's customer. like almost like a Forrester report, but it's almost independently commissioned for a specific use case, which right. is why I found it so valuable. Now it is sour and sass. Are you oh, ready to yeah. No. <laughs> okay, so, go to so this, oh. is, this is not the candy that you guys sent me because my fiance threw it away. So... <laughs> He was cleaning out the drawers. So this is something else. Okay. Okay. It's so sour. It's not too bad. <laughs> but it's okay. Where are you located? Because it's like 9 a.m. and I'm just eating sour candy right now. It is. I am in Houston. It is okay. 11. It is 11:15 here. So since yeah, I'm like doing you know like a toothpaste and orange juice. I'm doing like coffee and sour candy. It's great. I um, had my coffee two hours ago, so I'm all right. <laughs> I love that. So for everybody tuning in, what they could do is if you have a value prop of your product where you say in a competitive landscape, right? If I got three tabs open mm -hmm. and I'm on G2, Captera, software advice, whatever that is, I'm in your category. I'm doing my research. What's the one thing that lets my brand stand out? And then how can I get an independent party to validate that it stands out? So it's not me saying it, but a trusted third party saying it. And then I can leverage that as an offer. Is that a little bit of unpacking that to a certain extent? Say that one more time. I think we missed something. Give it to me one more time. Okay. So essentially the promise of acting is you cut their snowflake bill in half. It's kind of mm -hmm. that called action. Yep. So if I'm saying, okay, how do I do what acting is doing for my SaaS company as a marketer? Mm, what okay. I would do is say, okay, what is the thing that I do? What's this thing I can say that's so grandiose or crazy that no one might even believe me? Yeah. And then how do I get that statement validated by a third party so it becomes true? Yeah. And then leverage that to drive interest. Because it does have a little bit of shock, shock value, doesn't it? No, it has to be. It has to be shockingly memorable. Like our mantra directive is everything we do is financially validated, shockingly memorable, and strategically aligned for the next 36 months. That shockingly memorable part is huge because without that, you don't get someone from apathy to action. And it just stuck with me. I'm like, that's a really cool tactic you implemented to really monetize, I think, the traffic you're already driving. Yeah. And and you and you have to be able to back it up. That's the yeah, that's the that's the part. And not with your own data, but someone else saying it for you. I think is that key. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Now in your messaging, so I was kind of going through some of your ads, mm -hmm. and I like to always say it's hard to be fast. Like it's I like it's hard to be faster or cheaper. But y'all are saying faster and cheaper. So I wanted to hear from you. How do you think about positioning when it, as a message? In other words. Let's say I'm working with New Relic or I'm working with some type of like brand in the SaaS space. Normally, I'm trying to come up with what we might call here a single-minded proposition. In other mm -hmm. words, if I strip everything away from your product and only has one leg to stand on, what's the sturdiest leg? 
how, how do you think about messaging and positioning when you have like multiple messages because you have multiple value props? How are you balancing that as a director of demand gen? Because you have to think about not one person. You have to think about the buying committee. So yeah. the more expensive your product is, the more it is a business decision, the more people you have involved. So yes, yeah. we are faster and cheaper, but faster is going to emote or connect and resonate with the actual user. Cheaper is right. going to resonate with the executive. Sure, so, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because he's like, I'm not using it. Like, okay, great. Give me my report faster. I'm still going to get it at the same time, right? Yeah. But what, how is it going to impact the, the, the bottom line? So I think it is having a very um, a persona-driven messaging strategy. Overall, this is our higher message. I don't have to mm -hmm. distill it down because I'm not throwing spaghetti at the wall hoping something stick. I have a message for this set of group, this this set of people in the buying uh, committee and a, a different set of messaging for these people. And so I get to pick which yeah. part of my messaging strategy is going to resonate and I get to build off messaging yeah. for them. They're, they're going to the same place. They're going to the same asset. They're going to the same webinar. But how I get them and how I sure. connect with them and get them to click is going to be different for each each group. So I love that, Kimon, but I want to play devil's advocate for a second because okay. I can see, because so I see like personas as the bane of my existence <laughs> because of how people implement them. And let me walk you through that. Okay. When you build out campaigns to your set personas specifically, that's when we need our specific messaging. Mm -hmm. However, what I have found is most SaaS organizations do a lot of generic marketing and then they try to blend all their messaging for all their personas into it. In mm -hmm. other words, instead of having their persona for data architects and then running all their campaign, their value props, their messaging, their call to action and their offer for data architects mm -hmm. and making that different from than what they do for CIOs and then mm -hmm. running only that difference to CIOs and that difference mm -hmm. to data architects, yeah. they end up running, let's say, a more of a like function campaign, more of a like the engineering department campaign. And then they blend the messaging from all their personas into one, and then it speaks to no one. So mm -hmm. how do you balance in your mind having multiple personas and recognizing that many of your campaigns don't have enough psychographic or firmographic control, so you end up blending those personas, but then still having a single value prop? Like, how do you think about that in your mind? It's hard. Like, I'm just yeah. being honest. It's, it's hard because you can't, if I had a personalized message for each person that there was an impression for or a click for, that's not even scalable, right? Like I just, you have to, you have to build to scale. So when I'm, when I'm starting a, a campaign, I'm thinking about who can I actually talk to, right? Like yeah. I want to talk to everybody, but the fact of the matter is I cannot talk to everybody. It's not scalable, right? So I understand that, for maybe in my SEO strategy, I might be optimizing for someone who may be not necessarily a decision maker in the the buying. Maybe a practitioner, right? Exactly, right. So they they might their their educational experience might be completely different, and I might have a different channel and a different strategy for them. But I'm not paying for everybody when I can't create yep. and develop messaging for everybody. It just you're right. It it, it doesn't work. 
And I'm not going to say that we get it right all the time either. A lot of the times when we're building out our campaigns and I'm working with my agency partners, we're like, okay, these are our personas. This is where they are. We'll break up copy for each one. We'll have maybe a slight variation of creative, but they're going to the same page. They're yep. just be real. Yep. Like they're going to the same page because I, I Who's going to do five landing pages at that scale when it's only a 3K budget? And that's where my complaint with the personas yeah. come from. It's not that personas are bad. It's that we kind of bastardize our capital with it. Yeah. And so I guess my tip for everyone who's tuning in is I like to say 10K per, per persona per channel. Mm -hmm. In other words, if so, don't like go after a CIO on LinkedIn with 5K and be like, it didn't work because right. it, it, you don't have enough there. And then the last part is have um a blended persona. In other mm -hmm. words, when we do personas, we do like the CIO, the DevOps person, and the maybe the architect. Mm -hmm. And we do all, and we have three personas. But what I found is nobody does a, okay, but what it, when we can't target those people specifically, what's our single value prop for our blended persona? Mm -hmm. And I think if you have a single value prop for your blended persona and you add that to your specifics, your mm -hmm. campaigns can come out more um, compelling. Yeah. I, I, and that's a, that's a great idea. And when I test that, I'll come back to you and let you know how this blended messaging work works. Yeah. My workaround for that is I do not believe that you set it and forget it. Not with demand gen. Yeah. It is literally, gotcha. I am testing every single week, every yeah. single week. I am changing something about my campaigns. So once I run them, I am pausing them, adding member groups, adding skill groups, breaking out titles. I am constantly figuring out, because if this is the messaging that I have, then this is just the messaging I have. I need to figure out who this is going to resonate with. Correct. What targets are performing better than others and what segments within that do I need? And then you can start to actually bring that to life. Exactly. And then I just pause what's not working, yeah. reallocate, and then A-B test and make it more efficient and effective. Like, I love that. I would love to have 30 people writing content and, yeah. <laughs> and landing pages, but that's not the case. So, you know, and a lot of times it's not, frankly, and it gets difficult. And so, one of the things I noticed is your customer stories. And this is part I'm still trying to figure out for myself. And I don't, I don't think this is probably a part that you've put a ton of time into from what I've seen so far. But how do you think about telling your customer stories? Because I think this is such a hard part in technical industries. is how do you bring that to life? Because I'm looking at yours and it reminds me of mine, right? It's challenge, solution, outcome, and that's a bunch of text. And I think we both know in a heart of hearts, not everybody's really reading it. Mm -mm. I, and I, I know you don't probably love this page, but I want to hear from you. Like, what do you do about it? Like, what, what's your vision for it? Because I've been thinking more bite-sized. I've been thinking more consumable, more quotes, but having lots of them, almost yeah. like the NPS feedback. Like we run our NPS and we take those quotes and we use that. So it's more like how it's almost like a social media feed for yeah. customer stories because people aren't really engaging. I don't know. That's where my brain's at. Where's your brain at on that's customer cool. stories and SaaS? That's that's a that's a cool thought. I kind of I, I I dig that. I do not hate it yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, as far as how the information needs to be displayed for the most engagement, I haven't thought a ton about that. Yeah. What I have thought about is what those customer stories need to look like and they need to be like one of the things that I, I remember like earlier in my career when I was moving um 
from uh, retail into tech and I was having a conversation with my soon to be boss and we were talking about B2B versus B2C. And I said, it's all B2C. It's either B to B to C or it's B to C, right? At the end of the day, right? Human to human. Everything's human human to human. It's absolutely. So at the end of the day, you're not selling to a logo. You're not selling to a business. You're selling to a human. And what does that human need? They want to work. They want to feel great about the work that they're delivering. They want to feel like they've accomplished something in their career. They want to feel like a I was about to say drop an F-bomb. They want to feel like a rock star. (laughs) Right? They want to be promoted and they want to be paid for their job. So how do you communicate that your product did that for that person? Because that Mm -hmm. is what people are buying. They are buying the experience. When I bought Marketo, it was, this is going to make me the queen of emails. This is what I want. They sold what this would make me in my career, not what it would necessarily just do for the business. When you're talking about a customer story, it has to be, like you said, human to human. It's not about business to business. And I think that's where a lot of businesses get it wrong. That's something that I think that we, we have to continue to work on to develop, but you know, there are only so many hours in the day. So (laughs) we got to do a little (laughs) bit of time. (laughs) No, I love that. Now, are you ready for round two? Now I'm going to warn you, round oh. two is more sour than round one. Okay, I got different candy this time. So, okay, yeah. and I'm doing two. Watch okay. out. Two. I'll do two too. <laughs> hmm. Now, that was so nasty. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have this concept of a bridge. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we all want SEO as part of our campaign mix because it lowers our customer acquisition cost. And it mm-hmm. gives us kind of a better blended CAC at mm-hmm. scale, right? We don't have mm-hmm. our high cost channels, maybe like LinkedIn, Medium, and Google, and then low in maybe Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and then lowest maybe in SEO. Yeah. Now, the problem with SEO, as we all know, is we don't get to control our firmographics. So those personas you have, while they're lovely, it's very hard to translate like this exact persona searches this exact query, and they're going to rank on this exact blog post, and I'm going to hit them with this exact value prop. And then they're going to want a demo. Like that doesn't really work, right? <laughs> We'd like it to, but it ain't real. And so most of our SEO is like informational intent. Top of funnel, get them into our brand, get them into our company. However, get them in the door. Correct. Mm-hmm. How do you think about getting them from informational intent to wanting a demo? For me, I use a Slack group called Society, and that's my bridge. It's like a mm-hmm. community play where I, I know you're not ready for a demo because you don't have purchase intent. So I yeah. get you into this bi-directional environment where mm-hmm. I can talk to you and you can talk to me. And now it's a bi-directional thing instead of just an email where it's one directional. Mm-hmm. So that's how I do it. How do you think about a bridge, especially in a technical space to get people from your blog to a demo over an extended period of time? That's another area where if I'm just being 100% transparent as B2B, we struggle. Yeah. Um, and it hasn't been, I mean, we, Without giving away the secret, the secret sauce, SEO in and of itself is a complete undertaking when you're taking on a new org and you're coming in, you're like, okay, what's been happening here? Let me, let me fix and address it, right? So now you have all these people coming and you don't know to what end that they're coming to what place. I mean, I think this is where having a good ops in place, um, a good marketing operations system in place, because even though you can't necessarily always tie, you can, you can only have so many UTM codes, right? <laughs> like you can only have so many smart lists. 
However, there, there are ways to be able to tie where somebody went and what they were doing back to the user, which if you have your data in, in good enough condition, you can do, you can run an, an analysis on that data and say, okay, this persona typically acts with this. Who is this person and what do they do? And start to have those conversations. Or if you say that this person is outside of the buying committee, and maybe I want to focus a little bit less on them, but the people who are inside of the buying committee, maybe they're interacting with this content more. Like, maybe we don't have the opportunity or the infrastructure right now to build that bridge. We would love to have conversations. I would love to have our engineers. I would love to have our product team talking to customers on a regular basis, answering their questions. And we do have a community, uh, an Actian community where people can go and ask questions. We just have to get them there. Right. right. And so yeah. it, it's, it's finding the people who are actually coming and giving them an opportunity to go to places we actually have. Cause sometimes it's like, and I'm sure you know this, you you have to, as a marketer, especially when you have a limited budget, you have limited resources, you have to figure out how to make an impact with what you have. I can't focus on what I don't have because that's not going to benefit me or the business right now. Right now, I just can focus on what I have. So I know who's coming to my page. I know where I can get that information. I know what campaigns I can attach that information to. And it's, I was talking to one of my team members earlier and she gave me this analogy and I'm like, damn, I'm going to use that when I can. So I'm going to use it now. <laughs> Demand gen is like Tetris, right? It's like taking all the pieces of the puzzle and trying to put them in the right place as quickly as possible in the most efficient way as possible to whatever your desired outcome is. Ours mm -hmm. is, I want to have somebody in the bottom of that funnel as an opportunity that I can win or lose. So whatever I have at my disposal, I'm going to use it. And then as I prove my business cases, I prove that we've we've um, improved on the, the conversion rate and we are spending more efficiently. We're getting more leads. We're delivering more value. We're getting more new business. We're expanding an existing business. Then I can have more budget and I can make the business case for all these other nice to haves because my half to haves are already functioning properly. No, I love that. And it's such a wise play for everyone listening. It's like, I call this, my version is called alpha beta. Mm -hmm. and what you do with alpha beta as a marketer is you always make sure you have 75% of your spend, budget, resources, headcount, and things you know are going to work. Mm. That's your alpha. But then you take 25% and you put that in your beta. And beta is your feeder program. That's where you get crazy. That's where you're like, hey, we're going to send out shoes to all of our target accounts, but only have one shoe in the box. And they're going to have to, you know, get a demo to get the other shoe. Right. Like That's where you start going crazy. Like, I'm going to do a blimp at Dreamforce or right. Like That's where you start getting wild. I and love that's it. Beta. And if it wins, you bring it into alpha and then you get budget and your alpha budget expands and you maintain your beta budget as a constant. And so you keep growing alpha, but you keep beta steady. And that's how you expand your marketing. I'm, team. I'm done say, here. I'm done here. I need, I need nothing else because that was everything I needed to learn today. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> oh, no. I'm learning like crazy over here. And I think the biggest thing I want to learn, Kimala, is how did you get out of D to C into B to B without getting your title hacked to crap? Because I think a lot of people, especially those who are talented, yeah. find themselves stuck. Not stuck because they couldn't switch industries, but because they can't switch industries horizontally without yeah. taking a significant step back. So yeah. everyone tuning in today, since you've been in that journey, and I haven't actually got to interview that many people who have, 
Yeah. What, and what advice do you have to anyone tuning in on how you can get out of one industry into another while maintaining kind of title and pay? Um, I've been very fortunate in, in the sense of for the majority of my career, it's always been an upward trajectory from a career. I've not had to take any pay cuts. Like you said, I've not had to really take any title decreases. I think it's all about being intentional in your career, to be perfectly honest. Um, I always start my next job with the next job in mind. What is my next step after this one? So when I took my previous role, I already knew what I wanted my next role to be. And I was already already learning for that job. I didn't wait for, for it to feel like it was time for me to move into a job to start mm. learning about or getting the skills or being prepared for it. So I think it just, it for me, I feel like it was just all about intentionality. Like I've always knew Chess, not checkers, right? Like, what's my next move before I make my first one so that I ain't trying to essentially make a spade something it ain't when I don't have a chance, right? Because now you're over here, you're like, okay, I got this thing. This is where I want to go. Uh-oh. Oh, crap. And I can't tell you how many people I try to help in my own life. You know, we, we got a lot of people who get who I get to work with that directive. Mm-hmm. And then my biggest thing is always, okay, but – because I'll hear about your vision, right? When I work with someone, I want to know where they want to be in life. Where do you want to be 15 years from now? Yeah. And I see a lot of people who leave directive and they make their next step doesn't mm-hmm. fall in line with their future step. And I, they, in the moment they're happy, but you know that tomorrow they're going to be sad. And I think yeah. that's such a good advice is to have your second job in mind when you take your next job. Always. And I think that's such critical information because you can get stuck and in a really crummy situation yeah. Where you thought the grass was greener and you find out it's really not. Yeah. You, you cannot be impulsive with your career. You, you yeah. can't just, you can't jump just because, you know, in this moment, oh, I had a bad day. Okay. So what? Suck it up. It's. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I tell people all the time, like at the end of the day and I close my computer, I'm going home to my family. Yeah. My job is not my life. It's just part of my life. And so mm-hmm. if I have a bad day, it's not a reflection of Kima and who she is. It's just a bad day at work. <laughs> just like you have yeah, a bad your day. Your identity isn't your moment, right? Like your identity isn't tied up in a moment. It's tied up over an extended period of time. There you uh, go. And what you've developed, right? And I think that's such a special way to look at life that keeps yeah. you steady. And yeah. marketing isn't that steady. We have bad quarters, bad weeks, bad months, and we got to have something that anchors us to tomorrow. So we don't always worry about, you know, today and yesterday. Marketing has bad decades. Let's just be clear. <laughs> yeah, for real. It's not the easiest space in the world. People just, hire us to do things they've never done before with less money than they we need. Yeah, all the time. All the time. And then they're like, and then also by tomorrow, I want 1,000 leads. You're like, I need more, what? baby. What? Yep. Yeah. Where are we sending emails? Gmail? Come on now. <laughs> yeah. I love that perspective. It's such a healthy one. And I think it's just an honest way to look at life. So. Kimal, thank you so much for being on Sour and Sass. If anyone wants to follow along with your journey, um, what's the best way for them to do that? They can find me on LinkedIn. I was I was a first adopter, so I'm just Kimasha okay. on LinkedIn. They can find me very, very easily. They can Google me. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So I, I'm easy to find and always happy to connect and network with people. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been phenomenal. And uh, shout out to your fan group, Holy Cow. I mean, a couple, like, we got Brooke Bardos over here. We got Ava Hawkins. We got Lisa Crowder. I love your fan base. So thank you so much, everybody, tuning in. And uh, that's another episode of Sour and Sass. Thanks, everybody.